Hello everyone, um, I'm absolutely uh, thrilled to welcome you to this event today on uh, Building Solidarity with Progressive Struggles in Latin America. Um, it's hosted by Labour Friends of Progressive Latin America and supported by a wide range of solidarity organisations as part of the ongoing Arise uh, Festival, um, an online festival of left ideas. Um, you can still buy a ticket for the for the festival or donate and we've got an amazing closing event coming up on Wednesday. We've had hundreds of thousands of um, social media views, thousands of registrations and tens of thousands of people join our events. Um, and that's because of a collective action uh, to put forward socialist ideas that our movement the world need more now more than ever. So I'm Sam Browse. I'm from Labour Friends of Progressive Latin America um, and I'm also an Arise Festival volunteer. All around the world, uh, we're going through a major crisis in terms of the ongoing pandemic, deepening climate catastrophe, and in parts of the world, um, now a major cost of living crisis. And those of us on the left need to put forward the ways to transform our world and put people, health and planet first in order to win the argument. Part of this has to be changing the way that the world is ordered and structured and standing up to those leaders who globally promote the policies of war, hatred and division. And this also means standing with those movements across the world and governments who are fighting for a better way, um, a world where public need becomes uh, comes before corporate greed. That has to mean progressive international cooperation on the left. And that's why we're delighted to have this global platform today and to be building links between the left in Britain and the left in Latin America, um, which has made some real vital gains in recent times that I hope we'll hear about today. Um, those gains should certainly be an inspiration to us all. So we've seen election victories in Mexico, Argentina, Bolivia, Chile, Honduras, Colombia and more. And we've seen Cuba, Nicaragua and Venezuela stand up against illegal US sanctions and blockades. So the event today is a celebration of our mutual values of peace, internationalism and unity and about the crucial work of building links of solidarity with each other. I've got to say too that due to the amazing level of interest, as well as the Zoom webinar, uh, we're streaming live direct from the Arise YouTube page, which you should all give a follow, and uh, will be uh, will be um, posted in the chat, I'm sure, and across various Facebook pages as well. So um, we're, we're we're beaming out across the internet. Um, I'm really thrilled um, today to introduce our first um, high-profile speaker, and it's such an honour to have such a high-profile speaker with us today. Um, and from such an important struggle as well. That's Rodolfo Pasta, who I think is on the call now, um, Secretary of the President um, uh, Presidency in Honduras. Um, Rodolfo, over to you, and thank you for joining us. Thank you, Sam. Um, I'm gonna have to excuse myself because I, I've, uh, I've got a case of COVID and I'm trying to, to um, feel better, but I'm not gonna, open my video because I would look miserable. Um, I, I appreciate the invitation to speak um, to you, all of the audience and, and to be a part of this uh, festival. I, I really uh, do believe in the core importance of solidarity and in how we should stay connected um, through different parts of the world and, and pay attention to what's going on, even if it's a little farther through of, from, from where we're accustomed to, because I do think that we live in a, such an interconnected world 
nowadays that, uh, you know, we're all impacted by what's happening elsewhere. And it makes sense to, to stay in touch and, and to see how we can help others uh, in times of need. It's certainly been the case here in Honduras for a long time, more than a decade, that we have been going through um, a rough period of our history, a dark period of our history, um, as a result of a coup uh, that happened in, in mid-2009 and since then established a dictatorship uh, which uh, ruled Honduras for uh, these last 12 years and um, did so in a very classical authoritarian um, repressive uh, manner, uh, benefiting a very small uh, group of, of, of people and also doing so at the cost of human rights and, and natural resources in our country. Um, we, we were elected, uh, the government of President Xiomara Castro was elected um, in late 2021 as a result of a, of a major effort um, by the people of Honduras and with the support of many, many um, fabulous people around the world uh, who resisted that dictatorship and who demanded, collectively demanded that some level of democracy be restored in Honduras. Um, throughout these last 12 years, we have had the support of many of you who have helped us make um, this crisis in Honduras visible around the world and even um, going against the strong currents of of, of major uh, media, which tried insistently to, uh, you know, deceive deceive uh, the the rest of the world about what was truly going on here in Honduras. Um, so we we were elected to the executive branch, and we've since made a number of important efforts to try to start rebuilding a country that was. Uh, left in ruins. And uh, by this, I, I, I can refer to very specific, concrete um, uh, details, like the fact that, you know, we have, we have a, a country where, despite uh, being highly in debt, uh, we're, we're talking about a, a, a debt that goes beyond 50% of our GDP, um, we're talking about more than 20 billion dollars for, for, for such a small country like Honduras, for such a poor country like Honduras. This is something that we will have to pay for generations to come. And yet, despite this, this debt, we have a collapsed health system, a collapsed uh, public education system. We have, uh, you know, deteriorated infrastructure. And worse of all, we have a very, very dilapidated institutional um, system. So we, we, we have a very, uh, weak democratic uh, system that is trying to survive. And from the executive branch, we are still confronted with a judicial branch that has remained under the control of, of this dictatorship. Um, it's important to mention that um, the dictatorship and, and, and the repression and corruption that went on for, for such a long period of time was able to stay in power um, because of the support that it had from, you know, basically empire, and um, and 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 it's uh, ironic that uh, 
as a result of, of, of this triumph of the people in the recent elections, um, we now see a, a former dictator who has been extradited to the US to be held accountable for the crimes that he committed against the US as part of, a, of, a, um, of his close involvement in, in uh, narco trafficking. And yet we, we have a, a major debt with Hondurans in terms of the crimes that he committed against Honduras. And uh, we hope that at some point we get a chance to hold him accountable and many, many more accountable for all the crimes and corruption that cost, costed Honduras thousands of lives, not only in, in, in direct assassinations, but also in the fact that we were by no means ready for a pandemic uh, with, a, with a health system that had been um, you know, dilapidated for for more than a decade, and therefore was 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 uh, in no capacity to confront this pandemic, and um, and so you know I I think that it's it's very revealing of the way that that power and uh, and geopolitics work in our modern world to witness a a a twenty first century dictatorship that can come to power through the brutal force of, 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 of weapons and count with the support of, of empire and, and stay in power despite its, its uh, systematic abuses of, of human rights. We're still dealing with so many of the remnants of that dictatorship and, and it will take years to rebuild from the ruins that we have received. Um, it's, uh, it's, it, we, we would be successful as this four year government we're, we're six months into this four-year term if we are able to put put off the fires and 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 uh, organize our country um, minimally uh, in order to start this this project of rebuilding um, our republic um, and you know we're still fighting uh, such uh, perverse intentions as the the sedes the sedes are the special economic zones that have been uh, given in concession for decades to, to these um, um, business people who come in and, and, and uh, you know, invest in, in creating these states within our state at a cost to our sovereignty and our territory and our human um, and, and natural resources. So the fight, the fight and the struggle continues and uh, it is very important for us to, to count on the support of, of the many, many people that have um, supported us throughout the years. And also to keep uh, denouncing, you know, the, the, the powers that be and the way that they confront and affect our capacity to um, develop our own democracies um, and, and protect our, our rights and our sovereignty. So, um, you know, I, I think that uh, it's, it's, like I said at the beginning, so important and so inspiring to, to be connected, to stay connected, because if anything has been very clear since the coup and until now is that uh, the right is very well organized, the right is very well connected. And in order to be able to stand against our adversaries, and succeed against uh, you know such powerful uh, people. We we also need to stay connected, and we need to be organized. And 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 that I believe is is what solidarity is all about. So thank you again so much 
for this opportunity. And I look forward to listening to other panelists and sharing more ideas. Thank you, Rodolfo, and um, I hope you're well seen as well. And I know, just again, I remember personally being in solidarity meetings in 2009 over what happened in Honduras and the coup then. And um, so it's re it really is inspiring the, the election with Jim Castro was a real kind of inspiring turning of the tide, you know, and to see that happen, to, to see that happen was amazing. So thank, thanks so much for joining us and uh, best wishes to you and hope you're, hope you're well seen. Um, our, our next speaker uh, is uh, Rafaela Molina um, uh, with Islands Across the World, who's here to tell us about the advances in democracy and social progress that uh, are taking place in Bolivia. And again, a, a kind of fantastic recent turnaround too from a, a coup d'etat that a year later um, was, was reversed. So um, I'm going to hand over to Rafaela to talk about um, to talk about with Islands Across the World and Bolivia. Um, over to you. Yes, hello, and uh, thank you very much for organizing this space. I agree uh, with the representative of Honduras, and I share my solidarity too. I think dialogue and solidarity between countries of Latin America and with the world are necessary to continue advancing and resisting together this global system. And I want to briefly share what has happened in Bolivia in recent years, our resistance and the hope for the change that are taking place in Latin America. Our uh, um, something that we Bolivian thought was a thing of the past happened uh, happen again. Three years ago, we suffered a coup d'etat. Due to its renewed and sophisticated strategy, many people and institutions failed to recognize it at the beginning. A conspiracy involving the, organiz uh, the organization of the American states as a tool of the United States government the agro-industrial sector of my country, right-wing parties, parapolice mercenary groups, and foreign governments included um, the United Kingdom, the European Union, and Brazil, was able to seize power, oust Evo Morales, and install Jenny Nanez instead without any legitimacy to do so. It was actually a neoliberal restoration. Um, this neoliberal restoration group was consolidated, with, uh, which represented the period of the greatest economic, political, social regression and violence of the last two decades. Uh, in this period, 37 people were killed by de facto government after signing a decree absolving the military of blame in the crackdown of protests. Thousands of people were persecuted and imprisoned for their political affinity, while indigenous people were beaten and accumulated. Shameless corruption permitted the whole government to the point of profitery, even from health supplies at the peak of the COVID-19 pandemic. Because they wanted to dismantle the plurinational state and return to the colonial republic, racism was part of the vision for the country. Therefore, segregation and the right to denigrate and exercise supremacist violence against indigenous peoples and their symbols were part of what they wanted to bring from the past. One example, was the systematic destruction of the Wimpala, a flag that represents the indigenous people of several uh, communities in Latin America. And uh, it's an official patriotic symbol uh, of Bolivia under the constitution. Almost immediately, the, resist the resistance to this violent and imperialist attack was organized. And the Wimpala was revitalized as a symbol of resistance and defiance in light of the hatred uh, it generated during the coup. 
As part of this resistance, the palace across the world was born. This collective, initially formed by Bolivians residing in all parts of the world, grew organically to disseminate reliable information, denounce abuses, and support this resistance the coup. I am proud to say that I am representative of this group in this event, and I want to express my deep appreciation to all the brothers and sisters that were part of it. I am ecstatic to report that after a long year of struggle, the social movements and popular classes managed to restore democracy, forcing the regime to the polls and electing a legitimate government that will rebuild a country with sovereignty. This peaceful return to the rule of law after a consolidated coup is unprecedented in Latin America. Now, in Bolivia, the economy is recovering. We have one of the lowest inflation rates of the world, and we're moving with sovereignty towards the industrialization of lithium, and rebuilding what the coup plotters tried to destroy. Just over uh, a week ago, thousands of indigenous far farmers, majority women, were given land titles to where they have been cultivating for years. This is part of the economic revolution in the plurinational state of Bolivia. We encourage you all to put Bolivia in your hand and support. Bolivia leads the way in how the coexistence of nations putting people before practice is possible. However, attempts at destabilization continue in my country and in other Latin American countries as we are here in Honduras. This is why we need to be even more alert with the wines progressive chants that are beginning to run on the continent. With the recent triumph of Gustavo Petro in Colombia and the anticipated win of Lula in Brazil in the coming months, we're living in a new wave of left-wing uh, progressive governments that should open a golden age of Latin American integration. This brings many expectations, many opportunities, and helps for the region. For us, it is extremely important to keep contributing to the resistance to the fighting in return of a new type of fascism that is being promoted in many parts of the world. We are in a historical moment in which internationalism is very important in the globalized world. It was very important during the resistance to the coup in Bolivia, and it will be indispensable in the coming uh, years when Latin America, especially while the United States try to regain an imperialist control of the region for selfish economic and geopolitical interests. This is why we deeply appreciate this space and call for strengthening our solidarity support and joint resistance that allow us to continue weaving networks to fight against the unsustainable capitalist war system. Thank you very much. Thank you, Rafaela. Um, that's a really kind of valuable contribution, I think. I, I think, I, I, like, I certainly my experience of, again, talking to people in the, in the UK about Latin American politics is certainly people don't realise what the, the racism of, of a sort of, of the neoliberals in, in across the continent and yeah, especially in Bolivia as well. So thank, thanks so much for that contribution. And again, it's inspiring to see such a kind of turnaround as well. And, and now Bolivia leading the way. Um, before I turn to our next speaker, I want to bring in uh, Matt Wilgress, um, who is um, an Arise Festival organiser just to do um, a little plug for kind of future events um, in the conference. Um, so Matt, can I bring you in now, please? Thank you, Sam. And thank you everyone for joining us, both our speakers and the participants. I can see hundreds of people on Zoom, hundreds of people on Facebook, and even a fair number on Twitter, which I always find quite a commitment to watch the meeting on Twitter. Um, thank you also just to everyone who's been to anything in Arise Festival. This is over the 30th event in this month-long um, festival of left ideas and as Sam said it has been 
remarkable how many people have joined us at different events and at different parts of the festival. And it's been so great, especially to have these big international sessions, whether it be in solidarity with people of Palestine, whether it be to talk about the steps we've taken, solidarity with moves to United Ireland, or whether it be this discussion tonight, building links with the left in Latin America. Um, the plugs are for future events are nearly over, as there are only two left. There's one at lunchtime tomorrow, and then the main closing event is Wednesday evening at 7pm with John McDonnell and representatives of five different unions that are either in action at the moment or moving into industrial action, including the NEU, the FBU, the PCS and Unison. Um, you can join that discussion on building a resistant unity through struggle on Wednesday. And in particular, um, please do donate to Arise. Um, I know that someone gets on and says this at every call, um, but it is important. It costs hundreds of pounds to put on any one of these individual sessions. The whole thing has cost thousands of pounds. If you can donate ten pounds or whatever you can afford on this call, if twenty or thirty people did that on each of the bigger calls, then that would enable us to further expand our operation. And any extra money we do raise will go towards organising a physical festival, hopefully again next year, as well as maintaining this online programme of events. So please do donate ten pounds or what you can. I can see some coming in now both from the UK and abroad if you can donate 10 pounds please do and I hope to see you at the closing event on Wednesday thank you Sam thanks Matt uh, yeah so as Matt says definitely please hit that um, donate link and um, and offer what you can uh, as Matt said we were people powered the whole festival is people powered it relies on um, relies on people like you who come on the calls um, so yeah thanks Matt uh, also worth saying as well um, we've got a few people from all, all over the place on the call today, we've got people from Cheshire, Northampton, McKinleth, Vauxhall, Shropshire, Manchester, Peckham, Birmingham, Liverpool, uh, Buckinghamshire, and also Indonesia and Norway. So we're reaching across the world and across the UK, um, which is fantastic. Um, I want to bring in our next speaker now. Uh, our next speaker is Mickey Brady, uh, Sinn Féin MP and a fantastic and great internationalist and a member of a previous delegation to Venezuela, which I'm sure he will tell us about now. Mickey, over to you. Thanks so much for joining us. Great, thanks very much. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, fantastic. I just want to say, Akarja, first of all, thanks very much for inviting me to speak this evening and to all the organisers of the Arise Festival for all the hard work that they do behind the scenes. I've been asked to speak about Venezuela and my experience there. I was invited to go to the Constituent Assembly election campaign in July 2017. I was one of 45 international observers. Acting in this capacity, I sought to ensure and maintain international confidence in what was a crucial election for the Venezuelan people. And so we monitored the election. And in total, if I recall correctly, we visited six polling stations. And certainly I could not see how anyone could be fraudulent or trick the system that was in place. The checks and balances for the actual voter were much more thorough and protected than we would have in our own voting systems. And I consider what I saw, and I can only go by what I saw to be fair and equitable. Funny, uh, one of the things uh, that happened when I was there, I was getting emails, texts, and phone calls from Ireland, from my wife, family, and friends, saying, is everything all right? Because we're seeing there's a lot of trouble in Venezuela. This was on the news and, and the media. Uh, and as someone who comes from the six counties in the north of Ireland, I was well used and I'm well used to seeing trouble. But I didn't see anything like that. What I did see and what I heard was that the riots and the arrests were taking place in middle class areas. 
it was nowhere near where we were staying. And we were showing very graphic photographs of people being set in fire because they were chavistas. And it seemed to be looking at that, agent provocateurs were very much at work. And obviously it serves American interest to have a country that has been manipulated by the extreme right wing. And that's how it seemed. As a Sinn Féin MP, as an Irish Republican, I know the damage that external interference can cause and the conflict that it can stir up. And we've been dealing with it for 800 years now, at least. Unfortunately, recent years have seen a sustained outside meddling in the affairs of Venezuela from various quarters. And I, when I went in 2017, I went in the provision that only the people of Venezuela should determine the future direction of their country and nobody else. Sinn Féin is totally opposed to any outside intervention. And those of my generation will remember the coup against Chile's Salvador Allende. And being no doubt, some, such interventions are still being carried out. The techniques may be harder to spot and they may be more subtle, but it's still going on. And I'm sure some of us have heard in recent weeks when John Bolton, former CIA station chief and national security advisor to Trump, that and slipped that he had helped plan coups d'etat in other countries. And of course, the establishment would always deny any involvement in destabilization. It is only ever when the archives are published years later we get to see their hands on on those situations. And given Ireland's history, we feel that Dublin needs to do more to stand firmly as a voice for the colonialized people and oppressed of the world. Unfortunately, people in Ireland can often still be stuck in the colonial mindset, particularly at government level in Dublin. What we've had in the Irish state is Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, two conservative right-wing parties we've had them for 100 years. Now you think you've had a bad in Britain. Ireland has never, ever had any other government than a conservative government. And to be honest, they're not much better than what's going on at the moment across the water. So in terms of foreign policy, we've seen successive government, Dublin governments cozy up to NATO, sign up to Partnership for Peace and sign up for EU battle groups. There's a lack of confidence to stand up to world powers and say, no, actually, you're wrong in this. Ireland needs to stand firmly as a voice for the colonised and the oppressed of the world. It needs to stand on the side of the poor and marginalised and not on the side of those who are stripping the planet of its resources for the benefit of the few. And that is why we believe the Irish government needs to improve its bilateral trade and political relationship with progressive governments in Latin America. At its high point, the Venezuelan revolution provided a powerful stimulus to the growth of left-wing and revolutionary tendencies, both in Latin America and internationally. The progressive political and social movements which had nurtured led the way in delivering better standards of education and healthcare across the region. And I was able to see some of that uh, and the effects of that when I was there. Inspiring meaningful initiatives to tackle poverty, inequality and racism throughout the rest of Latin America. But perhaps the most important gain was more intangible. From my observations and conversations, the revolution seemed to give the ordinary people of Venezuela a long lost sense of dignity, a sense of justice and a renewed sense of confidence in their own power. As Hugo Chavez once said, no part of the human community can live entirely on its own planet with its own laws of motion cut off from the rest of humanity. Internationalism has always formed a core component of what it means to be an Irish Republican. And for that reason, I consider myself a proud internationalist. Our individual struggles for emancipation are bound, are bound to fail if we, at the same time, do not forge strong bonds of fraternal solidarity and cooperation. We must build a renewed international movement against imperialism and capitalism worldwide.
That's why we must champion the truth and educate people on what is really taking place in Venezuela and beyond. Sometimes when we hear the phrase Latin America, ask yourself, what comes to mind? But if you were to believe all that is spouted in the Western media, it would visualize an entire continent of drugs, soccer, poverty, dictatorships, and economic crisis. But we know this is the real Latin America. And while there are difficulties and strains that are often associated with colonialism, oppression, and poverty, in reality, Latin America is a land of exciting social movements, rich culture, inspirational resistance, and genuine people power. After battling against right-wing dictatorships and outside interference since the beginning of the 20th century, the full potential of Latin American politics is only just now emerging. The progressive struggles of Indonesia gaining ground provide us with a fresh perspective and hope against the tired questions of globalization, climate change, and tackling hunger. Sinn Féin will also stand firmly on the side of the colonized and the oppressed, as we uphold the principles of democracy, human rights, and self-determination, and oppose poverty, inequality, imperialism, and oppression, Ultimate, ultimately more unites us than divides us. When interviewed by reporters, Che Guevara's father said of his restless son, the first thing to note is that my son's veins, and in my son's veins, flows the blood of the Irish rebels. That is something we in Ireland are very proud of. Let Che's heroic memory and that of Hugo Chavez too provide us with daily reminders of what can be achieved when ordinary people decide that another world is possible. And it is meetings and gathering like today help us reaffirm to all of us too. And once again, thank you for letting me share a few thoughts with Gurumi Lamaiga. Thanks, Mickey. Yeah, um, absolutely. It's so, it's so important too to hear those sort of voices from like people have been over there and, you know, like, because it's black as white and white as black when you hear stuff in the news over here. So, yeah. Well, all, our, all, our, all our struggles have so much in common. Yeah. Yeah. Ours, by the way, ours are still continuing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, a fantastic quote from Shay as well. Um, thank, thanks so much for that. Um, Okay, so uh, moving on to our next speaker, um, who, I mean, uh, Mickey talked about uh, John Bolton and um, the kind of arrogance of, uh, of, of, of that kind of assertion about yeah, how he'd organized coups, um, coups abroad and kind of hiding in plain sight over, over those sorts of, uh, in the, by making those sorts of statements. Um, next, we have um, Terry Matson speaking. He's a Latin America coordinator for Code Pink. Uh, Terry is a peace campaigner from the US who will be addressing why we should, um, why we should be opposing sanctions on Nicaragua. Um, thanks very much, Terry, for joining us. Thank you. What an honor to be part of this panel. And I'm, I'm so thankful for the invitation to join all of you um, this evening. It's actually uh, Monday afternoon here in Mexico City, where I'm talking to you from. And um, I wonder if I could just take a minute before delving specifically into um, Nicaragua, we can just briefly cap, uh, recap what happened throughout the Americas, uh, starting, uh, let's say, let's start with the um, Bolivian pre presidential elections in October of 2020, because so much really revealed itself across the hemisphere beginning then. So just briefly, we had presidential um, elections in Bolivia, December of 2020 National Assembly elections in Venezuela, presidential elections in Ecuador in April of 2021, regional, massive regional elections in Mexico, June of 2021. 
Nicaragua presidential elections, November 7, 2021, Venezuela regional elections, mid-November 2021, Honduras presidential elections, the end of uh, November, Chile presidential elections, Colombia last month, and we're looking for uh, Brazil in October. I was fortunate enough to be um, an election observer in seven of the eight countries I was invited to, as, as your next guest can attest, um, Victor uh, from Colombia. I was invited to Colombia to be an election observer. I was not allowed to enter the country when I got there. But prior to that, I had observed elections in Bolivia, Venezuela, Ecuador, Mexico, Nicaragua, Venezuela again, and Honduras. And I would just share with all of you, and I think that this is the theme that all of us panelists have touched on, is that what we saw through all of these elections, the results really reflected within the people themselves and their countries. People voted for national sovereignty, they voted for natural resource sovereignty, and they voted for governments that were proposing economies for the vast majority of its citizens. So principally voting, and this was a spectrum of economic plans, one step to the left to revolutionary left, some was just, you know, uh, getting rid of massive privatization and others, it was a narrative completely to wipe out neoliberalism. So I think it's really important to understand this massive wave of um, pushing back against neoliberalism, of pushing back against foreign intervention and specifically from the United States. And, and the election results really, really reflected that. It's quite exciting and it is setting forward what a lot of us are calling you know, the return of the pink tide. Um, that's, you know, everyone interprets that a little differently. So I have been asked to speak to you specifically um, about Nicaragua. And of course, uh, Daniel Ortega was reelected president of Nicaragua November 7 of 2021. And I was uh, greatly honored to be there as an election observer and, and honored to return um, to his inauguration in January of this year. One of the things um, I want to um, illustrate is the really aggressive um, U.S. intervention happening uh, in not Nicaragua, specifically since April of 2018. And I think the best way to do that is to uh, kind of recap the economic war that is being placed on, on Nicaragua. We speak a lot about Cuba, Venezuela, Iran, North Korea, but I'm not sure we really uh, talk enough about the economic war um, against Nicaragua. So first, I think it's important to um, recognize that last week on the 19th of July, Nicaragua celebrated the 43rd anniversary of the Sandinista Re Revolution and the return of the Ortega government uh, in 2007 after 16 years of neoliberalism. And I bring this up. So uh, President Ortega was reelected in November of last year, but he was first, and this was the, probably the most important date, first reelected in 2007 after the 16 years of neoliberalism. And I wanna highlight this because what Nicaragua had to do in 2007 moving forward to today was deconstruct the 16 years of neoliberalism before they could move forward as a nation again. 
as a progressive nation. And this is something that Honduras, as Rodolfo mentioned earlier, Honduras is going to, uh, has started doing what Colombia is going to need to do with its new president, uh, what we're hoping Brazil is going to have an opportunity to do. And, you know, the vote is still kind of out on, on where Chile is going to go with its new president. But it's really, really important for those of us who stand in solidarity with these countries is to really understand how much deconstruction has to take place before a nation of people can move forward. And sometimes I think we get a little antsy and a little perhaps overcritical that a newly elected government isn't doing enough, isn't acting fast enough. And we have to respect the election results that the citizens of any specific country have produced, what they want and need, and that it's all gonna take time. And I specifically say this because I know there's a lot of criticism uh, coming out of my country that things aren't progressing fast enough. And I think we haven't even managed to successfully lead a revolution in our own country. So kind of hard to be critical of what other people are trying to achieve in their own. But this deconstruction that has to take place first is really, really important to embrace and support and see that happen and then, um, and then move forward. So now let me just briefly run through, I know I only have seven minutes, Sam, I think. So <laughs> it's what this economic war against Nicaragua looks like. And I wanna start with last week because last week was the 43rd anniversary of the revolution. And that was on the 19th. And on the 20th, Nicaragua was added to what we in the United States refer to as the angle, um, angle list. Let me tell you briefly what that is. So this is uh, the angles list is the Northern Triangle Enhanced Engagement Act. And this was made into law December 22nd, 2020. Um, the legislation has two components. It requires the publication of a list of corrupt and undemocratic actors from El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras who, who will be denied entry to the United States. And it requires the creation of a five-year strategy from the Secretary of State and USAID on efforts to advance prosperity, combat corruption, strengthen democratic governance, and improve civilian security in the Northern Triangle. So all that, you know, typical rhetoric that I'm sure all of you are familiar with coming out of, out of Washington. In the original act, Nicaragua was not included, but since November, 2021, uh, since the November elections in November, um, the Biden administration now has included Nicaragua. And what happened last week on the 20th was Nicaragua was put on the angles list. And one of the repercussions of that is that, um, it's further denial of uh, for Nicaraguans to, uh, to uh, visas to enter the United States, principally people associated with the Ortega family and the Ortega government. But also what has happened is an economic move came out of being put on the angles list. And this was denying a preferential tariff to, for Nicaraguans to import their sugar to the United States. So this was a, you know, another little tit for tat uh, economic uh, pressure. The sugar producers in Nicaragua are principally private and are principally um, 
I don't want to say oligarchy because that that's too strong of a word, but private business people, and they're not going to specifically suffer much financially being denied um, this lower tariff to send their to send their sugar to the United States. One country that's going to be looking for their sugar is Poland, which apparently there is no sugar in Poland right now because of the sanctions on Russia. So as some things unfold negatively, some things are unfolding, you know, positively with these sanctions. Um, but I think it's important just to understand these little these these little tit for tats that are going on specific to the government that the Nicaraguan people have elected for themselves. Um, I also should mention just on a very uh, personal level, because I don't think this is often included when we think about sanctions in general for any country. Um, I was invited to attend uh, the July 19 um, celebration in Managua. And looking at flights, it is astronomically, at least for me right now, it wasn't in the past to fly, uh, from, to fly from the States and or Mexico into Managua. And that is one of the things that you look at as a form of diminishing the tourism industry in Nicaragua. And not just Nicaragua. I think, you know, we look at how difficult it is to get flights into, into Venezuela and Cuba too. So it does have, you know, an economic effect as much as just sending, you know, a negative message about the country to the, to the Western um, population. So that's just a little a, a little personal thing to keep in mind when you're making travel plans. It's some of these costs are specifically put in place to deter uh, economic development. And for Nicaragua, uh, tourism is a huge economic engine that they are trying to rebuild since um, COVID. And airfares, of course, are making it extraordinarily expensive to go. So uh, what else should I tell you? I'm going to kind of make a quick rollback of everything that has happened since the April 18 coup attempt in Nicaragua. And I think that will help you see how aggressive this economic war is against um, Nicaragua. So in uh, June uh, 13, 2022, the US State Department imposed visa restrictions on additional 93 individuals. Uh, coming out of um, Nicaragua, principally again related to the Ortega family, Ortega businesses, and anyone related to um, uh, the state. August 18 of 2021, the United States said it would refuse visas to, at that time, 50 Nicaraguans linked to Daniel Ortega's um, government in response um, to its in a run up to the elections in November. And um, July 12 of 2021, another set of visa denials. And then I think most significantly in 2021 was in March uh, when the Renaissance Act, which is reinforcing Nicaragua, get this name, reinforcing Nicaragua's adherence to conditions for electoral reform act of 2021. This was introduced to the United States Senate and House of Representatives in March of 2021. It was introduced simultaneously. And some of the elements in that um, act include uh, restrictions on international financial in institutions relating to Nicaragua. So cutting off Nicaragua's, Nicaragua's access to international finance and um, 
it was tar and, and then targeted financial sanctions to advance quote unquote democratic elections. So this was March of 2021. The timeline in the in the Renaissance Act in both the House and the Senate was it gave the Nicaragua government 180 days to conform. And then that uh, and then the government, the US government would not pursue um, turning the proposed act into legislation. So this is introduced in March of 2021. Yeah, and and the outline is 180 days. Okay. So it was 180 days. So it was really, really clear that this was a form of electoral interference. And then uh, you should also just say probably the most important thing prior to that was in December of 20, it was December of 2018 when the NICAR Act was um, was put into place by the U.S. government. The Nicaragua, the NICA Act is Nicaragua Human Acts and Anti-Corruption Act of 2018, which really, really put uh, access to uh, the World Bank and the Inter-American Development Bank um, made it very difficult for Nicaragua to participate in those lending programs. And all of this, I would say, because it's finance oriented, it's very clear that with the return of the Ortega government in 2017, and with their vision of a progressive economy for all the people, uh, backing off of neoliberalism, republicizing, re, uh, moving things that were privatized in the neoliberal years back into the public sector, these are all tools to prevent that from happening or their attempts. It is still happening. And, um, you know, and the Nicaragua people and their government continue to move forward in defiance uh, of, the, of the North. And they really, really deserve our support. And I think the best way you could possibly do that is to go see them, see what they're achieving for themselves and their country. The economic development is profound for all levels of society, and also just to see how beautiful the people and the country are and to support their tourism industry um, as a form of, of breaking the, the this sanctions warfare against the people and government of Nicaragua. So I know, Sam, I probably talked a little too much. <laughs> <laughs> it's not spiky. But Thank you know I love it. Nicaragua and her people. <laughs> so well, it, and it is also important to, um, to kind of, you know, to, to say what those things like flights are relatively that feel relatively innocuous actually the massive impact they have on uh, the way an economy can work and and the human oh. they have on people so no thank you so and much such a direct <laughs> attack on what they're trying to achieve um yeah absolutely absolutely um yeah thank you thank you for that for that very detailed um kind of analysis of the of the history of sanctions i'm now going to move to our next speaker um, who is Victor de Curio uh, Lugo, who is a Colombian journalist, um, who we're hoping will reflect on another recent fantastic electoral victory in, in Latin America. So, Victor, over to you, and thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for the invitation. I'm really glad with the result of the, the last election in Colombia. Let me uh, uh, share with you some, some ideas about neoliberalism. First of all, uh, for us, neoliberalism is not just an economic model, it's an ideological model. And uh, it means how we see, how we perceive the world. 
how we interact each other is based on indicator, is based on uh, tools, is based on efficacy, and there is no space for the dignity of human being. Second one, uh, we recognize a lot of uh, uh, human rights in our constitution in 1981. Unfortunately, uh, in the same constitution, they uh, opened the door for a, a market model, what is really, really sad. Now, we won the election in the, in the last um, um, campaign, as you may know, and now we have a big debate. The debate is if we accept uh, its so-called neoliberal peace or social peace. As you may know, we have had an armed conflict in the last 60 years. Unfortunately, the peace process has been based on this kind of neoliberal model. Let me explain what it means, neoliberal peace. Means out of context, as well as the companies, as well as the model, neoliberal model works in a laboratory uh, out uh, from the reality, the peace uh, bill in this logic doesn't uh, take into account the causes of the conflict, doesn't take into account the context of the conflict, uh, the history of the human being, the citizenship, the social agenda. The only important is to give results. That's why the neoliberal peace is an approach which insists too much in the disarm, the mobilization, and reincorporation of the former guerrilla members, but not about the reforms who a lack of is the cause of the conflict. That's why we insist too much that it's not matter just simple to demobilize the guerrilla group. We have had different peace process in the last 20, 30 years but we continue still in, in the middle of the conflict. Why? Because the causes of the conflict, like the land property, like the participation of the political uh, uh, scenarios has been uh, uh, not allowed to the, to, the, to the people. You know, here we have some last names which are the same year by year. The same families uh, govern the country the same um, uh, um, elites are deciding everything. But finally, after 200 years and 12, I, I, I'm not exaggerating, 200 years and 12, for the first time in our history, we have a government that can be called progressive or leftist or, or a decent government. It's, it's amazing. For us, we're really a party. You cannot imagine people crying uh, screaming in the street because we uh, get finally some kind of democracy. The president uh, elected uh, is Gustavo Petro. He was a former guerrilla member. He took the weapons in the 80s and after he took part in the parliament during the last year. Our vice president is even more empty. Is, uh, uh, I, I, her name is uh, Francia Marquez. Once talking to her in a big national strike last year, I say to her that she had three, four problems about problems with, with quotation. First of all, she's a woman. Second one, she's black. Third one, she's from a poor family. And fourth, she's from a rural area, uh, not the center of the country. 
And these Colombian countries, machism, classist, um, racist, and centralized countries. And exactly these four problems of Francia is exactly what we need, because it's the solution, is the confrontation of the power established. Now, the, the expressions used by uh, uh, Gustavo Petro when he um, accepted his triumph uh, uh, in the election was clear. We, our, our uh, compromise, our uh, commitment is for the, for the uh, social peace. What it means? To include the causes of the conflict, means the land property in Colombia, the lack of political inclusion, the uh, recognition of our history of a struggle, the need of justice and inclusion. And in this model, we have a social uh, peace, contrary to uh, neoliberal peace. And some of the new minister has been uh, um, named in this way. For instance, in the health sector, that is one of my area of studies, now is an important leader of the social uh, civil society working to reform the national health sector in order to guarantee right to health to the population. But also the new minister of defense, our new minister of defense is a guy who was uh, persecuted uh, years ago by the former government uh, because he denounced the level of impunity and crimes committed by the armed forces. And now with the defense of minister, uh, the minister of defense, sorry. And also you know, our Mr. minister of culture is a long uh, uh, experience, experimented um, actress, and she's a social leader of the cultural arena, but also she was really involved in the political issues, and she was part of the uh, political party called Patriotic Union uh, the, in the past decade. More than 5,000 leaders of this organization were killed uh, between the paramilitaries and the military organization in Colombia. And also our, uh, well, I, I can be a long time talking about, but the most important is the message is the real, we have a real hope because our president, our vice president, our the minister, and we want to work to organize a comprehensive agreement of peace where will be included all the different groups in order to guarantee a real peace, but not just to disarm the group, is to guarantee the condition, the social, the economic, the political condition that avoid people coming back to the mountain to take the weapon. But let me uh, finalize, say, uh, what, what, the, what means peace for the Colombian people? Peace means work, education, health, it means dignity. And now, uh, now uh, already my, my finish, what do we need? in terms of solidarity for all people who is listening to us. First of all, as your government, push your government to respect our decision, our sovereignty as a Colombian people. Please, usually the British, uh, the British government, the USA government want to put their nose in our business. Please respect our decision, our self-determination. Second one, uh, we have to discuss internationally about the illegal drugs. We are uh, killing each other in Colombia because of the drugs, but the money goes to the international bank circuit. And I think that it's necessary to open 
a real discussion about the uh, illegal drugs, about the impact on our countries, especially because uh, some sectors, including myself, are asking for the legalization of the drugs in order to break the business, because the problem is not the drug, the problem is the business. We need uh, to support uh, against the escalate, the potential escalate of fake news, again, our government, and also, why not, an economical measure against our new government, as we saw against Nicaragua, Cuba, Venezuela, and Chile in the 70s. And please uh, push your governments to support our comprehensive peace agreement. And finally, one of the points that is on the table of the discussion of the new government with the USA is to review the free trade agreement. We believe that it's necessary to reconsider this kind of agreement who uh, affected, which affected seriously the, our economy, our uh, rural economy and the incomes of the farmer. Means please help us criticize our mistakes, uh, support our efforts and uh, come to Colombia, please come to Colombia. And uh, I promise you to be your guide and to show the best of our country, especially the, our people. Thank you so much. Thank you, Victor. And like, there you go. That's your program of uh, uh, Columbia Solidarity laid out for you by, um, by Victor. Get involved, definitely. Um, yeah, and go to go to Colombia and get involved in uh, pressuring the government um, to to review things like the free trade agreement. Um, thanks so much, Victor, for joining us. Um, before I go to our final speaker, um, I just want to thank everyone for participating today. Um, we know the left movements in Latin America have important battles ahead and also know how essential events like this are to building understanding and doing the kind of solidarity work that Victor just um, just mentioned in the UK. So please do get involved uh, with campaigns on the vital issues that we've discussed today and show your support uh, to Labour Friends of Progressive Latin America, the um, organisation I'm with, um, including through following us on social media. Um, you can see the links in the in the chat and, and please support Arise Festival too. Um, just to reiterate uh, Matt's call for donations earlier on, please donate 10 pounds or whatever you can afford um, uh, or come to the closing event as well. Again, the details of the closing event are in the chat. We've got to keep working together to insist there's no return to business as usual when it comes to our economy and politics. And to not only argue that a better world is possible, um, but to win that better world. Um, and a key part of that, an integral fundamental part of that is our anti-war internationalism and standing in solidarity with progressive forces um, in, in Latin America. So viva la, viva la solidaridad. Um, and I'll hand over to our uh, final speaker, who is um, Natalia Urban of Brazil Wire. He'll tell us about the prospects, fantastic prospects and exciting prospects of a Lula victory in Brazil and the dangers that might face and is facing and uh, what we can do again to offer practical solidarity. So Natalia, I'll give you the last words of the session. And thanks so much, everyone, for joining us. Thank you so much for having me here. And even though you have such a positive things to say about Brazil, uh, what I have to say here tonight is not positive at all. Uh, we still have a long way, even though there's only 70 days until the next elections. Brazil's in panic because we don't know if the elections will actually happen because since last year, Bolsonaro keeps uh, threatening to cancel the elections, to undermine 
the electoral process in Brazil. And now more than ever, and especially after last week when he uh, uh, called out uh, several ambassadors to give them a presentation showing how the electoral system in Brazil was uh, uh, flawed and, and the elections would be uh, uh, um, fabricated against him. Uh, we are extremely terrified that Bolsonaro is going to try to do something uh, to undermine what we so long have been working, uh, that is to remove him from power and having Lula da Silva again as our president. Even though the polls are showing that Lula is 13 points ahead, we cannot like rest and we are still working very hard to not just uh, having Lula elected, but to have the elections to happen and also um, to denounce the amount of political violence that has been happening in Brazil. Uh, two weeks ago, a uh, treasurer of a local branch of PT, Workers' Party, uh, Lula's party, uh, has been killed by a, a fanatical supporter of Bolsonaro because Bolsonaro has been instigated his supporters to do some sort of like uh, January 6th um, in Brazil, like to radicalize people, to uh, uh, make people uh, became violent against, uh, especially against the Workers' Party uh, uh, members, but also against everybody that doesn't agree with what he's been saying or praying uh, uh, in Brazil. Um, people are uh, not just like hopeful to remove Bolsonaro, but also like hopeful to once again uh, have been living in a country where we can all uh, uh, dream about a better future. Because nowadays we have 30 million Brazilians uh, living uh, in a state of like uh, uh, food insecurity, which uh, is completely the opposite of the legacy that Lula gave us, that is like Lula removed people from the hunger. Lula gave people dignity and now we are seeing the opposite. Bolsonaro is not just like stripping Brazilians of their dignity, but Bolsonaro is stripping Brazil from everything, uh, uh, from like uh, 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 the, the democratic processes to like uh, uh, debates to the opportunity to dream on uh, a better things for everybody, uh, especially regarding uh, 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 the basic necessities. Um, and of course, uh, we are living through times of like a global warming and like a climate crisis. And we cannot have someone that is doing uh, uh, shady deals with Elon Musk to like mining and like monitoring the Amazon uh, uh, in power again in Brazil. We are seeing a, a, a record number of deforestation. We have been seeing a record number of like illegal mining of the death of indigenous people, of the death of uh, Afro-Brazilians in the favelas. And no one is kind of like doing anything and, and, and saying anything because Bolsonaro was the establishment party one, uh, 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 candidate once. Uh, Bolsonaro was what they wanted for Brazil. And this is something that um, 
even though we are here among the left, but I will never be able to forgive uh, uh, the imperial powers that once put Bolsonaro there, that removed illegally Dilma from power, that uh, stripped so many Brazilians from their dignity and their lives, because like we have like over half a million uh, deaths uh, due to the tragic way Bolsonaro dealt with COVID. So what can I say right now is, uh, and ask everybody that is watching is like to write to your MPs to make like a, a big noise in order to uh, make uh, international pressure for the elections in Brazil to actually happen. Otherwise, uh, we will be stuck with Bolsonaro, but in a worse way than what is happening right now. So thank you so much for having me here tonight. And Lula 2022, it's uh, our goal as uh, what we are all wishing right now. Thanks, Natalia. And um, thanks all for joining us today. And hopefully uh, you can make it to the, uh, the final Arise session. Um, it's, been a great, it's been a great meeting and, um, and see you later in the month.